Hi, I'm Lisa Hollenbach, and I'm your host this week for Teach Talks, a podcast from your friends and colleagues at Teaching Channel. Today, I'm chatting with the brilliant and creative Sarah Kay. Sarah is a poet, performer, and educator from New York City who's been performing her spoken word poetry since she was 14 years old. She's perhaps best known for her talk at the 2011 TED conference, which garnered two standing ovations and has been viewed over 10 million times online. In that talk, Sarah recounts the story of her metamorphosis from a wide-eyed teenager soaking in verse in New York City to a teacher who connects young people with the power of self-expression through her organization, Project Voice. A gifted artist and breathtaking performer, Sarah empowers audiences of any age and background to embrace vulnerability, creativity, and community. Sarah has been invited to share her work on such diverse stages as the Malthouse Theater in Melbourne, Australia, the Royal Danish Theater in Copenhagen, Denmark, the United Nations Carnegie Hall, and Apollo Theater in New York City, among hundreds of other venues. She holds a master's degree in the art of teaching from Brown University and an honorary doctorate in humane letters from Grinnell College. She is the author of four books of poetry, No Matter the Wreckage, an Amazon bestseller in American poetry, B, ranked number one poetry book on Amazon, The Type, and All Our Wild Wonder. Sarah's poems and articles have been published in Cura Magazine, The Writer Magazine, Thrush, Treehouse Magazine, Union Station Magazine, The Huffington Post, CNN.com, and many more. A passionate educator, Sarah has worked with education organizations like the National Association of Independent Schools, the International Baccalaureate Organization, the European Council of International Schools, the Association of International Schools in Africa, and the American Montessori Society, among many others, in order to further the work of Project Voice, celebrating and inspiring self-expression, championing vulnerability, aiding empowerment, challenging traditional notions of literacy, and expanding access to arts education. Through her work with Project Voice, Sarah has taught students of all ages in classrooms and workshops all over the world. So welcome, Sarah, and thank you so much for joining us today on Teach Talks. And um, today, I'd, I'd just like to start by asking you, where did the idea for Project Voice originate? Well, actually, the first version of Project Voice was all the way back when I was in high school, believe it or not. I was growing up in New York City, and when I was 14 years old, I stumbled into a community of poets that were sharing poems in a dive bar on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And even though it was a dive bar, and even though I was 14 and had no business being there, they welcomed me into this community of of adult poets. And I really learned poetry and fell in love with poetry, kind of in like an old school apprenticeship model, where I would go and listen and um, watch and just soak in all of the the different styles of poetry that were coming through that space. And I was doing it completely separately from my world as a student and as a, as a regular high schooler. And I was so enthralled by it that I came every single week for basically all of my time in high school. And at a certain point, I made the observation that this was something that brought me a lot of joy 
and made me feel incredibly seen and incredibly listened to in a way that I did not experience in other places. And I thought maybe this is something that other teenagers would get something out as well. Um, and I wanted to try to bring it to the kids in my school. So originally the first version of project voice was a really small project, which was just, how do I share this art form with the kids at my school? And interestingly, the model that I created to do that at the time was, had three stages. So the first one was I hosted this performance for the whole high school where basically I, (laughs) I um, wrote a bunch of poems and then made all of my best friends learn them and perform them with me so that it looked like this was already a really popular art form, which was a total lie because nobody in my school knew anything about it other than me, but a little bit of subterfuge never hurt anyone. (laughs) So we did the, we did the performance, which allowed people to see what this art form was and just be an introduction to the art form. And then I asked a poet to come and teach workshops for free after school so that students could you know, give it a try and and figure out if this was something that they could sink their teeth into. And then the last step was I hosted our school's first open mic where students could come and perform and share the work that they had created in these workshops. And that was it. That was like the whole thing. And I really thought that that was all it was going to be. Um, And it was a very local (laughs) project at the time. Um, And then when I got to college, um, Uh, a very long story condensed to be shorter is basically I realized I wanted to continue doing this kind of work. Um, and I realized that the joy that I get from sharing this art form with other people, especially young people, um, and especially inside education spaces was something that I wanted to try to move towards as much as possible. And funnily enough, um, the model that this whole thing started with is not too dissimilar from the model that we still use, even though we're now a full fully fledged organization. That's a team of poet educators and far more professional and wide scale than I was when I was in high school. But in some ways it doesn't work too differently. We still do a big performance um, for students so that people have an opportunity to see what this art form is. We, we now are the ones that are teaching the workshops, but we use it as an opportunity to introduce people to the skills that go into the creation of poetry and the performance of poetry. And then oftentimes we work with educators um, to create a foundation for this art form so that there can be a community that is built around it once we leave, which often results in poetry clubs or an open mic or a showcase of artists. Um, And so those kind of three steps are still somewhere buried in the, in the, um, (laughs) <laughs> the DNA of what Project Voice has always been. Awesome, awesome. I think that I really hear those three components of your original um, iteration of Project Voice coming through loud and clear on on what your in what your project is today. And I think it's great that all of your poets are are teacher poets or educator poets. Um, are are any of them still working in the classroom, or is it is it kind of um, that they're performing and writing and training um, like you do. Yeah, um, it's really hard to be on tour while being a full-time classroom teacher. So um, the majority of our team are people 
who have been full-time classroom teachers and have are taking a break or have moved on to another chapter of their life. Um, and so come equipped with all of the knowledge and experience of being a classroom teacher, but now are trying to use those skills um, <clears throat> in, in a different education format, which involves, you know, a more condensed time and moving from school to school. Right. And I think that that's going to resonate um, very much so with our audience because teachers like myself that are on that next phase uh, of their teaching career and going out into leadership areas um, can see how, how very well this translates, um, bringing an art form and a love uh, together with your teaching practice and sharing it with the world. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a, a big thing is that when I first... Um, when I when Project Voice first started really gaining steam in a in a real way, and I realized that we were running an education program, it was really important to me that we do it well and that we do it thoughtfully, and that we weren't just coming in to disrupt what was already happening, but that we were coming in to um, help assist classroom teachers and to build on and with what they were already doing in their classroom and in their curriculum. And um, I specifically went back to grad school um, for education in order to make sure that we were doing that well and, and being thoughtful about it. And when I was in grad school, um, any time I was trying to research what already existed on spoken word poetry in the classroom, um, everything that I could find was like, yeah, spoken word poetry is a great extracurricular. And like, you should make a poetry club after school. And I really, to me, I thought, you know, that is true. Um, and also it's so useful in a traditional classroom space. And it's so helpful for full-time classroom teachers as a literacy tool, as an empowerment practice, as, um, a, you know, uh, a way of teaching a lot of skills that are not even necessarily, um, or are certainly not necessarily exclusive to poetry. Um, and I, I, it became something of a, of a mission for me to help teachers figure out how this art form can be useful to them within their kind of traditional content area classroom. Great. So maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that. How do you think um, incorporating poetry into the classroom? Um, I know you spoke a little bit on empowerment and, and giving students a voice. Um, how do you think they can incorporate it to build um, those skills and help the students um, achieve that better understanding of their community and society and even themselves? Well, I think spoken word poetry at the very root of what the art form is, or at least the way that I have experienced it in my life, um, you know, involves very specific things, which is um, learning how to articulate yourself about the things you care about, the issues you struggle with, the parts of yourself that are vulnerable, um, learning to uh, put words to those stories and learning to find the confidence that allows you to present those stories in a passionate and authentic way. Also 
built into this art form is learning how to be a good audience member, learning how to bear witness to an unfamiliar narrative, learning how to have empathy for somebody else's poem, learning how to give helpful feedback, learning how to collaborate with others. There's so many life skills that are built into this art form that I think a lot of times um, we hope our students figure out <laughs> and we um, hope is implicit in the way that we teach, but I don't know if we often explicitly teach it. Um, and I think that spoken word poetry allows for us to explicitly teach a lot of that, um, which I love because I think that we all need those skills regardless of whether anyone ends up being a professional poet at the end of it. Great, great. And I think that um, on that note, there's a, a current dialogue that's happening around amplifying student voice um, and, and also teaching civic engagement considering the socio-political climate. And how, does, how do you think that spoken word fits into that dialogue? Well, a bunch of ways. I think one is, <clears throat> you know, uh, as teachers, I mean, depending on what school you're in, of course, and, and where you're at, you have varying degrees of control over the curriculum, right? Um, so certainly there are things that you can't control that you have to teach and, and it's handed to you and that's what it is. But beyond that, there's always the opportunity for teachers to make the choice about what is given classroom time, right? And that power is immense. What we decide to spend time on in a classroom communicates to students what we believe is worthy of our time and worthy of our study. So when every teacher in America decides to spend time on Shakespeare, we all internalize, wow, Shakespeare must be real important because we sure are spending time on him. And that messaging um, sticks with, with kids. And one of the things that I love about spoken word poetry, especially when teachers make room for it in their classroom, is in a certain way what you're doing is you're making time for the stories and voices and language of your students. And you're holding up those stories alongside the textbooks and saying, yes, your words and your history and your family, um, you are as worthy of time and study as all the rest of this. And that's a really powerful thing for students to get to feel and experience and hear, um, especially students who have not previously felt con control over language. I think a lot of times students um, decide that they're not good at writing or they're not good at reading um, because they have difficulty with it or they're used to seeing a lot of red pen on the things that they write and they they beat themselves up for it. And one of the, the things about this art form is that um, it, it doesn't start with asking what you can do on a piece of paper. It starts by asking what it is you want to communicate and what it is that you want to share and what is the story that you want to tell. And later we can certainly talk about how it looks on a piece of paper and we can certainly talk about the way that the words fall and the way that they're spelled and how grammar works. But the first thing I care about is your story and how you want to say it and who you want to say it to and the language that feels comfortable in your mouth. And I think, um, I think when we do that, it allows students to feel power over language in a way that perhaps they haven't gotten to before. And they start to see themselves as creators and as writers. Um, not only that, but this, this art form, um, if, it's, if it's taught in a way that is organic, 
by which I mean if it is taught in a way that students get to feel excited about it and not um, that it is a test for them to fail at, um, then they start to feel ownership over this art form. And when they do, they feel comfortable in this art form. And this art form allows for students to explore the parts of themselves that are more personal than a textbook. And it makes room in a classroom for the parts of a student that perhaps are not traditionally allowed to be in the classroom, um, including their their history and their um, families and their religion and their politics and their body image and um, a lot of stuff that um, students I think oftentimes believe that they have to leave all of that outside when they step in, but so much of that informs who they are as people and who they are as learners. And so being able to make space for it in a classroom, I think makes a big deal. There are so many fantastic connections you're making, um, not only to, to student driven learning and student passions, um, but to creativity and critical creativity, um, to social emotional learning, um, but also to many of the very important standards, um, whether they be common core standards or whether they be uh, simply the standards of each state as they look at what students need to learn in every discipline. So, um, you know, it seems to me that, that you can make an excellent case for, for teachers to make space in their classroom for, for something like spoken word poetry. Oh, certainly. I mean, I think it's funny. I, I can talk about this for a hundred years and I can talk about it from a lot of different directions, one of which is kind of the the heart side, right? And I want to talk to you about the the vulnerability of young people and the need for their, their voices to be amplified and for them to feel um, power over their language. And I, you know, I can talk about that forever. But also, if we want to just be real uh, <laughs> uh cold about it, which I'm comfortable doing too. Um, this is a really helpful education tool. And I think that, you know, in, in the time and place we're living in, uh, literacy and the way that we think about literacy and what it means has expanded so much and continues to expand. And in a lot of ways, what this art form allows teachers to do is to teach a lot of the same stuff that they would want to be teaching anyway, but just doing it through a medium that is sometimes more accessible and more available to young people. Um, you know, for students who struggle reading argumentative essays and analyzing how argument works in language, you find the right video on YouTube of a spoken word poet doing it in a poem. And a YouTube video is a much more familiar format for a student that they have connotations with that are not connected to being tested on something in school. And all of a sudden, their ability to analyze doesn't feel like they're analyzing, but feels like they're just experiencing the same thing they would if they were outside the classroom and are just learning how to think about it in a critical way. Um, so I think that teachers across content areas um, have a lot to benefit from finding a way to make room for this art form in their teaching practice. Right. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of times when we think about poetry, we tend to think ELA. Um, and, and given the nature of spoken word poetry, I can see some teachers finding space for it in um, a social studies classroom. Uh, but how do you feel that something like this might be incorporated into the other, uh, the other disciplines that, that wouldn't normally take poetry as a medium for their instruction? Yeah, I, I have seen so many teachers make use of this in so many different 
content areas, which is thrilling. So I have seen a, a middle school chemistry teacher assigned her students each a element from the periodic table of elements, and they had to research it and then write a poem from the perspective of their uh, element. And the rest of the class had to guess which element they were. Um, I've seen uh, religion studies teachers do a similar um, uh, assignment using the apostles. Um, I've had history teachers um, pick an important um, moment uh, or a, a turning point, a, a large historical turning point, and um, ask for spoken word poems from differing perspectives within that one historical moment to talk about how the different voices of history affect the way that we learn about it later, or how um, one particular moment in history looked at from all of these different sides gives you a very different understanding of what different groups of people, um, what that moment meant to different groups of people. Um, so I think, you know, this can be a way for students to learn vocabulary. It can be a way for students to learn about argument. It can be a way for people to um, develop you know, critical eye, deconstructing poetry um, is often something that is really terrifying to both teachers and students for that matter, um, because poetry has often been framed as like a riddle that you have to decode. And if you can't, then that means you're not smart enough for poetry, which I think is just a terrible poison to, to inject into poetry. Um, but I think when you become more comfortable um, being critical about poetry, by which I mean talking about its elements and understanding what it's doing and understanding what the writer is doing in various moments. All of that language is the same language that we use when we're trying to understand documents, when we're trying to understand um, uh, differing viewpoints. There's there's so much in there that we are already trying to tackle. We've just been using um, text on paper and we haven't found very many opportunities to, you know, lift our heads back up <laughs> as it were. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, as, it, as I think back to my classroom, I think that my students were most engaged with the learning when we were doing something creative and when they were allowed to make some creative choices as authors of whatever medium they were presenting. Um, and I, yeah. I think that spoken word probably has that same quality to it in the classroom. I also think, and this is a, a thing I think about a lot, which is that when I was in school, um, my head was, was um, how would I phrase this? Let me see. When, when I was in school, I think I thought of everything in a dichotomy of being for school or for me. And so if I had to do math homework, my brain would go, okay, this is for school. And if I got to watch a movie with my friends, my brain would go, okay, this is for me. And I think students do that because it helps them organize themselves and their the way they think about what they have to do, et cetera. Now, if you asked teachers, great teachers, uh, they would say, hey, everything I ask my students to do is for them. Um, but that's not how it feels when you're a kid and you're the one being asked to do it. And one of the things that I like about this art form is that 
again, if it, depending on how it is introduced, it has the opportunity to start breaking down that false dichotomy because it feels like something that is for me. When I am allowed to write about what I want to write about using the language that I want to use, um, whether it's being silly or serious, whether it's being political or personal, when I get to feel that kind of control and creativity around the things that I'm creating, it feels like it's for me and it is. And the secret is it can be for you and also have immense educational benefits as well. Oh, and that's something that we're always reaching for in the classroom is trying to find a way for students to own the work and put their passions into it. And, uh, and you know, these little tools uh, that maybe uh, some teachers think of as for school or not for school, um, perhaps we need to shift the way we think about um, the tools of learning in the same way. Exactly. Right. Okay, great. Um, do you have any favorite strategies uh, that, that you might... Um, that you might offer to our, our teacher audience that could engage students in spoken word poetry? I mean, we started to, I, I sort of hinted at it a little bit, but I can be a little bit more um, explicit about it, which is that I think when, when teachers first start to get excited about spoken word poetry, they have a tendency to go, okay, cool, uh, I'm gonna do a spoken word unit um, this semester, and we're going to look at poems, and we're going to watch poems, we're going to read poems, and I'm going to assign poems, and then we'll have the the big final project be a, a group performance, and students will get a grade on that. Um, and the problem is that that immediately forces back up that false dichotomy. And it immediately makes a student feel like this is one more thing that I could fail at and that I am doing for school. And so the biggest suggestion that I have for teachers that want to bring spoken poetry into their classroom is to find a way to focus on process instead of on product. And but what I mean by that is don't have a final performance determine a grade and don't have a grade based on how good a poem is. Um, that's not helpful to the ultimate goal, which is getting students to love poetry and consider themselves writers and artists and um, passionate learners, right? Um, when I say that, however, um, that doesn't mean that there isn't a way to um, have this fit inside of a curriculum in a traditional sense. It just means being thoughtful about the way that you create a, um, what is the word when you, oh shoot, I, I always blank out on this word. What's the word um, when you like write up uh, how a student is graded? Like, um, uh, uh, it could, uh, a rubric, is that what you're thinking? Thank you. A rubric, right. So um, just because you're focusing on process and not product doesn't mean you can't grade a student on spoken word poetry. What it means is that you have to create a rubric that focuses on process. So I want to know how this student is able to take risks. And I want to know about how this student is giving feedback to other students on the day that we share work in class. And I want to know about the way that this student was able to receive feedback and make changes. And I want to know about how they collaborate. And I want to know about how they listen. And I want to know all of these things are things that you can pay attention to and certainly give a grade on. But it's also focusing on that student's process um, instead of 
uh, of trying to make it based on like the one poem you happen to write this week. Right, right. And that seems like a much more fruitful way um, to engage students in, in both the art and the learning that's bound to spring forth from it. Exactly. Um, great. Uh, so what do you think about practical ideas or resources for our teachers? We have a, a group of teachers who come to the site and they're really engaged with tips and strategies that they can take and turn around in their classroom almost immediately. Do you have any of those ideas or, or suggestions for resources or places to go for teachers who may want to try it in their classrooms this week? Yeah, well, there's lots of, so, okay, so many things, so exciting. First of all, if you're excited about bringing spoken word poetry into your classroom, I am very excited for you and hooray and yes, and, and may the force be with you. Um, and the, the kind of fastest way to do that, I think, is to just go to YouTube. Um, there's so much spoken word poetry already on there. It's a huge archive of videos. And honestly, the, the easiest way to start um, finding what poems are going to work for you in your classroom are to watch poems. The good news is most poems are between three to five minutes long. Um, so you can watch them pretty quickly. You can listen to them while you're driving in your car. You can, um, you know, have them in, in the background. I would say <laughs> definitely always listen to a poem all the way through before you bring it into your classroom. Uh, because you never know when a poem is PG until the last minute of the thing, and then it isn't anymore. Um, so certainly listen first. But a lot of times, a big part of this art form is just um, letting students become familiar with poetry. Um, and if you're going to do that, the other thing that I would say is make sure that you are bringing in a variety, a huge variety and a huge range. Um, I like to say to people that like it only takes one poem. It only takes one poem for someone to go, oh, wow, this is a thing that I might want to get involved with. The problem is you don't know what the one poem is going to be for each student. And so the way you, you tackle that is by bringing in as wide a range as possible, which gives your students a, a larger chance of finding the thing that resonates with them. So bring in poets who are from communities that are similar to the demographic of your students. Bring in poets that are nothing like the demographic of your students. Bring in older poets, bring in younger poets, et cetera, et cetera. And again, all of that is available for free online right there. In addition to that, in addition to just digging through the YouTube archives, there's also other organizations that um, are interested and invested in how we bring poetry into the classroom. If you're looking specifically for um, like a social justice uh, angle, there's an organization called Split This Rock, um, which does amazing work around how um, poetry can be political and how it can be used as a teaching tool, teaching towards um, justice, which I highly recommend. There's also organizations that are um, regional. Um, so there's a very large one called Youth Speaks, which has a, a, a real hub out on the West Coast in San Francisco, but also has smaller um, 
stations throughout the country. And they are also the ones that host the Youth National Poetry Slam, which happens every year. So if you start to have um, a growing collection of young poets in your school that are enthusiastic about this, look for a local chapter and see if you can find a way to engage in a local poetry slam, which is really just an excuse for young poets to get to see other young poets and to be able to create a community around this art form. Um, there's an organization in Chicago called Young Chicago Authors. They host a very, very big poetry slam every year called Louder Than a Bomb. There's also a documentary specifically about that group and about that competition called Louder Than a Bomb. Um, and Young Chicago authors have created a number of resources around what it means to teach poetry and to teach creative writing with students who have been through uh, trauma and violence and how the kind of therapeutic part of this art form can work as well and the sensitivity that is required when you're asking students to be vulnerable and to share themselves in that way, the, the support that you have to give them and the work that you as an educator need to do to create a space where that is possible. Um, Young Chicago Authors has created a number of resources around that. Um, and let me think if there are more. Uh, there is... Um, just a number of teachers um, who in and of themselves love this art and are working on bringing their, their, um, their students more experiences around spoken word poetry and around performance poetry. Um, there's a, a teacher um, named Brian Mooney at a a high school in New Jersey who created a curriculum that studies Kendrick Lamar's album To Pimp a Butterfly alongside Toni Morrison's Bluest Eye. And I think he published that curriculum on his teacher blog and made it available to others. So you could, you could try to find that. Um, and, uh, and, and there's a lot of folks doing this work. There's a lot of enthusiasm. You can bring Project Voice. We'll come visit you. Um, and we'll bring our, our educators and our poets, um, and we'll share what we have in person with you in the classroom. But um, if you're excited about this work, um, it, there is much, much to be had and much to be shared um, and much to be done. Wow. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just floored by how many resources you've managed to cover in that little bit of time and also um, feeling pretty good because I'm familiar with most of them. Uh, so yeah. I must be on the right track uh, to, to finding out more. Um, and just for a little fun uh, toward the end here, do you think that this is something that not only students should try, but do you think that teachers should also try their hand at spoken word? Oh, certainly. I mean, I'm a huge proponent of if you're going to assign homework, you got to do the homework yourself. And uh, in, in this particular case, if you're going to ask your students to be risk takers and share personal parts of themselves with their peers, then you got to step up and do it too. And I actually think um, in some ways, it's the most powerful way you can teach this because it is a way of showing your students your willingness to share yourself with them. And they get the opportunity to take you seriously and see you as a whole person um, instead of just the cardboard cutout of a teacher that sometimes they get used to seeing. And when you do that for them, it allows them to realize that you're going to do the same for, for, for them. Um, so I do recommend giving it a shot. Um, it is, it can be intimidating, um, to share your work with anyone, let alone 
your students, but I really do believe that um, being vulnerable with the people you care about um, is one of the most important things that you can do and one of the bravest things you can do. Um, and I think that other people are only willing to be vulnerable themselves when it is modeled for them. Wow. I mean, that that is um, so powerful. And I think that I could even um, say for teachers, uh, it is, it is a, a very big act of vulnerability to share your work with students. And I, I know several teachers who do it regularly. And, um, you know, just a, a little personal uh, short story. Um, yeah, I've always been a... Um, a person who admired spoken word, but I hadn't tried it till recently. And funny enough, one of my former students um, is uh, um, practicing spoken word, and she's very good. And she shares a lot of her work with me. So when I wrote my little poem um, that was <laughs> celebrating, um, I don't know if we call it celebrating, but it was it was a, a about uh, women's empowerment, uh, celebrating the um, the anniversary of the women's march. I shared it with her, and uh, she was able to give me some uh, critique and feedback too. And so in, in many times when we use these more modern pedagogical techniques, the student can very easily become the teacher, and we learn so much from them. It's it's so, so, so true. <laughs> <laughs> and, also, and also I think, like, um, what, what better way to... Um, to give your students a chance to flex the muscles that they're going to need in the world, right? If we're, if what we're trying to do is equip our students to be able to tackle the obstacles that life is going to bring them, a really, a really big one is how are you going to be able to sort out for yourself what you care about, what you worry about, what you love, what you don't? How are you going to be able to articulate that in a way that other people can access? How are you going to be able to share it in a way that convinces other people? How are you going to be able to um, give of yourself um, to someone else? Like these are like the real tough stuff, you know? And what a, what a wonderful thing as a teacher to help a student um, start start figuring that out for themselves so that when they leave our classroom, they're just a little bit better equipped for some of that. Absolutely. Um, all right. So I know that you are a very busy lady these days because um, you are about to have a book make its debut. That's um, true. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit more about your new adventure? Sure. Um, my new book comes out March 13th, 2018. It is called All Our Wild Wonder, and it's from Hachette Books. It is illustrated by Sophia Janowitz, and it is a celebration of extraordinary educators. So what a fitting thing for us to be talking about. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it is a, it is, um, I, I made it in the hopes that it would be an object that people could give as a token of gratitude to a teacher or a mentor that had had an impact on them. That is the exact reason that I made the book and it is exactly what I hope it becomes, um, is something that you can place in the hands of the teacher that meant something to you and say thank you. Um, so I hope that you enjoy it. Um, I had a lot of fun making it um, and it is, it, is, uh, it is out there now. Uh, I'm so excited to, to um, have a chance to take a look at that and it's really perfect timing. We have, um, you know, in May we have Teacher Appreciation Month 
Uh, so what a wonderful gift to, uh, to give to somebody who's made a difference. Um, so Sarah, I, I will let you get back to it. And I wish you all the luck with this, this adventure and everything that follows. Thank you um, so much. And I, I've so enjoyed talking with you tonight. And again, from our community, thank you for sharing your art and your work and your dedication to education with us. Thank you for chatting with me. I appreciate it. <laughs>